Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Hello. How are you? I'm really great. How are you? I am out of this world. That's amazing. I love to hear that. And we have news. We do. It's actually really funny because last episode at the beginning, I was talking about Gypsy Rose and how how she was recently released from prison and how I wish her well, you know, all that stuff. And then only a few hours later, after like finishing editing the episode and whatever, I get a message informing me that Gypsy Rose or her team, whoever, mentioned us in her book. She mentioned the podcast. Yeah, which is insane. I can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just so validating. I mean, whether or not she actually listened, the fact that somebody thought to put it in her book is really cool. Yeah, it's like the new book. And I I don't know, it's just really, really cool. I'm very happy and excited about it. Yeah. And also, that was our what number episode? Her story was quite literally like episode six. Yeah, so it's... Six and seven, because it was our first two-parter. It's likely not good. (laughs) Well, I went back and I listened to a little bit of it, and it's not that the story or the sound quality is like terrible. It's just that I didn't know how to edit yet. So it's just, you know, it it is what it is. But we were getting the hang of it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a learning curve to everything that you do. We were at the very beginning of our journey, and at this point, we've come quite a long way. So I'm proud of that. And I'm really proud that we're, I don't know, in a book now. That's really cool. It's literally in print forever. You can't take that yeah, away. That's true. <laughs> it's really freaking cool. Unless they edit it. Yeah, but I mean, it's printed somewhere. So anyway. It's true. But yeah, I mean, as I said in the last episode, wishing her well. Thank you to you or your team for putting us in your book. That's really sick. Yeah. But I don't really have anything else to talk about at the top. So you want to just jump into the story? Let's do it. Let's do it. Today, we're going to be heading on down to Costa Rica in the fantastic year of 2005. Great year. All aboard. (laughs) Yeah. It was the end of May of 2005. Will Slattery, Jimmy Simplicio, and Manny Sanchez were friends who had gone on a dream vacation together. They would be skydiving in Costa Rica. 34-year-old Will's first skydiving experience was in college. He said there's nothing quite like floating through the sky. The trip to Costa Rica was a skydiving adventure, like I said, and they wanted to relax and enjoy the scenery, but also get a lot of jumps in while they were down there. The trip was made possible because Jimmy found a cheap round-trip airline ticket for $200 each, so they were all like, yeah, let's go. Jimmy was more like a coach and a mentor to Will, and Manny was a closer friend, but regardless, the men were extremely excited to go skydiving together. The guys had a lot of fun together. Manny would wear a big jester's hat quite often, according to Will, and he had a really big personality and loved joking around. Will said the sky down there was absolutely gorgeous. It was clear blue skies, and they were able to jump in shorts. It would be the perfect time away on their tropical vacation. The men would be staying at a beach resort less than 100 miles from Costa Rica's capital of San Jose. And it was actually a really awesome place to be because when they would do their skydiving, they would be able to land in front of their hotel on the beach, pretty much. Oh, wait, seriously? According to an article I read, yeah. (laughs) That's insane to me that they could do that. Mm -hmm. You can target a beach? Yeah, I think. Hmm. 
Okay. And then you just waltz over to the bar. I don't know. Kinda. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Will and his buddies had traveled to Costa Rica from California, where they were all members of the same skydiving club. They were frequent skydivers out of Skydive Elsinore at Lake Elsinore before they took the trip to Costa Rica. Giles Fabris, which is such an interesting name, was the manager of the club, and even while the guys were away, he called to check in on them. The skydiving family at that club was a very close-knit group. On the last day of their trip, the guys prepared to do their final jump. As they got ready to go, Will double and triple checked his gear as a safety precaution. Safety is obviously extremely important in skydiving, but Will said he was probably more anal than most about checking everything over. He is an adventurous person, but in his words, he's quote unquote, by no means a cowboy. He's not going to do something that's going to kill him. So he said, if you have all your gear where it's supposed to be, skydiving can actually be a really safe sport. The most recent data from the USPA, or the United States Parachute Association, shows that the number of fatalities per 100,000 jumps was 0.15 in 2022, which translates to one fatality every 200,000 jumps. And considering the 1961 report of 11.12 fatalities per 100,000 skydives, this is a lot better than that. Say that number again. In 1961, there were 11 fatalities per 100,000. And now it's like one every 200,000. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So the sport is much safer than it used to be. And it's all thanks to like the equipment and the safety precautions and stuff like that. So with modern equipment and training methods, fatalities occur less than one per 100,000 cases. And serious injuries requiring hospitalization is less than two per 10,000 cases. I'm trying to think of a scenario in which you would need hospitalization, but not be dead. Like if you land too hard and like break your foot or something? Uh, I I mean, I guess so. I'm just like, you know, I feel like if something goes wrong, you know, you're just fucked. Yeah. You know, in some ways (laughs) or sometimes, (laughs) I guess that day. The guys had delayed their final jump for the afternoon. There had been a storm that morning, but by lunchtime, the sky had cleared. By the afternoon, it was sunny with a few white clouds in the sky, and nothing stormy was in the air, so it seemed like a fine time to go. They all started to get in their rigs and board the small plane. The plane they would be flying was a Cessna 206. It was a small airplane. According to Will, it was probably smaller than most cars. Planes that are used for skydiving typically will have seats taken out of them, so it's basically just an open compartment in the back where the guys would sit side by side on the floor and just were packed in pretty tightly. So they didn't really have like seat belts or anything because they're going to jump out of the plane. Right. I mean, that would be hilarious. Yeah. So as they took off, the atmosphere on board was very lighthearted as the plane ascended, but the weather started to take a turn for the worse once again. Within five to 10 minutes after takeoff, the plane had entered the clouds. And from that point on, for about another 20 minutes, they were in complete whiteout conditions. They couldn't see the land, the ocean, nothing around them, just white all around the plane. And this was a problem because skydivers aren't supposed to fall through clouds. Entering a thick cloud can be extremely dangerous, especially if you have no idea how deep the cloud is or what's on the other side of the cloud. 
Skydiving through a cloud really hinders your visibility, obviously, so you can't see how far away you are from the ground. And also pulling your parachute inside of a cloud is a huge no-no because skydivers falling above you won't be able to see you deploy and you have risk of a mid-air collision. Oh shit, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking like, oh, the cloud's gonna fuck up your parachute. Yeah, that's what I thought too initially. Yeah. But it's it's just like a visibility thing. Yeah. So they just kept on flying into the cloud. Yeah, they they had had to. to. Yeah. Not only is it dangerous to skydive through a cloud like that, but according to skydivecarolina.com, it's actually illegal. Says who? Says skydivecarolina.com. We'll we'll piss off. (laughs) And we believe everything we read on the internet, so it doesn't matter. The men were expecting at some point to come out of the cloud that they had entered, but as time went on, they never got out of the cloud. There was no break in the cloud in sight, actually. Their only option at that point was to turn back and to not jump at all that day because the conditions were getting pretty bad. The guys were bummed, but also this wasn't their first rodeo, so they knew it wasn't a safe jump in those conditions, so ultimately they they would have been fine with it. But after the plane turned around to head back to base, they got into some serious trouble. Within 20 seconds of turning, the plane hit some minor turbulence, which then turned into major turbulence. It got worse and worse as they continued until they were experiencing massive bumps. Yeah, well, the seatbelts make sense now. Right, yeah, Will was not a happy camper at that point because he really didn't want to be in a tiny plane flying crazily all over the sky. And who does? No one. But that's where he was. And things only got worse. Seconds later, the plane began to actually lose control. At that point, the plane started to tilt and the guys were being thrown all around the back. They were thrown to the ceiling and then back to the floor and around the cabin multiple times. Like it was like a roller coaster and they were not strapped in. Damn. I mean, what are you going to do? Nothing. You just got to hold on, hold on, quite literally hold on. There wasn't much they could do other than ride it out or jump. And it was getting so bad that they were contemplating jumping out. The plane was hurtling towards Earth at that point because the plane was in such bad weather and it was so tiny that it was going down. And the men decided that they had no other option other than to take drastic emergency measures. They decided it was time to open the door and jump out, but they had trouble getting the door open. That's how like bumpy it was. They tried opening the door four times before they were able to get it open because they were being thrown all over the place. Wow. Now thinking about the situation, imagine you find yourself in a small plane in a storm. Mm -hmm. You're going to want to be a skydiver. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the right now, this has nothing to do with their skydiving. It has everything to do with the plane is going down. True, but I'm just saying this is the bright side. <laughs> yes, yeah, it would be a bright side to be a skydiver in this situation. So the pilot literally screams at them to jump. Oh, my God. Does, he, does the pilot have a parachute? To my knowledge, no. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, maybe he did, but he was also trying to fly the plane, so... Right. Yeah, he's just telling them to get out of the plane. Once the door was open, the men had to jump. They didn't know how far above the ground they were because they were still in, like, the clouds or if they would have enough time to skydive properly, but they had to dive out of the plane. Will said that once the door was open, he immediately dove out because he trusted his skydiving equipment and his ability way more than he was trusting that plane. And within five to eight seconds, Will's automatic parachute deployed. 
which meant that he was 750 feet up and falling very fast. He's only 750 feet above the ground? Within five to eight seconds of jumping out of the plane, yes. They were very low in the sky, which was a massive shock to the men, and they had jumped initially from about 2,600 feet, approximately. Yeah, that's low. Is that not low? It's very low. That's low. Mm Mm-hmm. So Will looked around and saw Manny under his canopy as well, because his automatic parachute had also deployed, and he was next to him in the air. And Jimmy was also under his canopy, but he was quite a distance away from them, flying in the opposite direction. Will was desperate to know if Manny was okay, and he also wanted to coordinate with him on where they should land. So he tried calling out to his friend multiple times, but as they fell, he never answered back. That was when Will realized that Manny looked limp. He was under his canopy, but he wasn't conscious. Will's assumption was that he got hit by the airplane as he jumped out. He wasn't sure if Manny was even still alive at that point. So he was just limp underneath his chute. That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. So Will was now hurtling towards the earth at about 40 miles per hour, and he realized the only place he'd be able to land was in the middle of the ocean. As he hit the water, he scrambled to the surface, trying not to get tangled up in his gear and drown. He looked behind him and saw that the plane had also crash-landed in the water. All he could see was the tail sticking out as it went down. He was in shock at that point. He knew he had to get his chest strap off. That way he could take off his gear and swim away from the parachute. Because at this point, it's not saving him. It could kill him very easily. It took Will a good two or three minutes to get out of his gear. And that was a very terrifying few minutes because he was scrambling and panicking and treading water as he's like tangled in this gear. But after getting out of his gear, his first thought was of his friends who jumped out of the plane with him. They also must have been in the water somewhere, and Manny seemed to be unconscious in the air, which was a terrible sign. So once Will was out of his gear, he took off his shirt and his shoes as well, because he wanted to be able to freely swim to find Manny. If Manny had been unconscious, he needed to find him fast and keep his head out of the water. In the middle of the ocean, completely by himself, Will called out to both of his friends, but with no luck. Nobody answered back, and he hadn't seen his friend's parachutes anywhere in the sky or in the water. With no idea where to go, he started swimming in the direction that he thought Manny may have landed in. But after swimming for quite a while, there was absolutely no sign of either of his friends. And by that point, the plane was completely underwater. This is bleak. I mean, maybe go try and find the pilot? Where? In the water, where the plane was. I think it was too far away from him, and it was like under the water. But that is a good thought. Go to land? No land. my God. He's in the middle of the ocean. What do you do? Does he even have like a life vest? No. He's no shoes, no shirt, in the middle of the ocean. Just shorts, and that's it. And it's storming. It was. I don't know if it's still storming or if it's just like cloudy in the sky, but yeah, it was. So he had to accept that he was alone out there in just a pair of shorts in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. He couldn't even see land in any direction. It was ocean on all sides of him, and he was miles out from the land. He was hit with a feeling of complete hopelessness because he couldn't see a way out of this one. He didn't think there was any way he would last overnight in the ocean. And that's when he got angry because if he had to die like that, why couldn't he have just gone down with the plane and gotten it over with? Instead, he had to struggle out there until he drowned. 
He felt like if there was a chance to survive, he would fight. But at that point, he didn't feel like there was any chance he would make it. So why stretch out the agony? His mind then started to wander to the idea of sharks. He began thinking about how vulnerable he was out there, in this shark-infested waters. He knew that if they wanted him, they'd be able to find him from very far away. But the more he thought about it, he started feeling like if a shark did find him, that may offer him a quicker way out than having to wait to drown. I mean, the thoughts you want to be having, you know, yeah, very, shark or drown. Very dark thoughts. I guess with the shark, it's kind of both, you know? It is both. And also you're being eaten alive and you're probably feeling all yeah, of I the mean, not, ripping. Not great. Yeah. No. That sounds terrible. But also the alternative to him was treading water until, until he drowned or he was or he would dehydrate or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, do you even know what direction land is at no. that point? He had no idea. Yeah. Not a good option either way. He actually started splashing and like calling out to the sharks to come and get him. He really didn't want a long drawn out death. So being eaten alive seemed like the best option in his mind. God, this is dark. Yeah. <laughs> right now it's pretty dark, but the sharks didn't come, which is a good thing. I mean, he's not bleeding, is he? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's an eerie thing to say, but no, not yet. Cool. Yeah. Will thought about the fact that he had been off the coast of Costa Rica and not off the coast of the States. If he had been, there would most likely be Coast Guard boats out looking for him in a short period of time. But in this case, he didn't feel like anyone would be coming to get him, anytime soon at least. He felt like thinking anyone would be coming to get him would make him a spoiled American, and he had to survive on his own. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but that's where his mind went. He was like, who am I to think that someone's going to come get me, a spoiled American? Yeah, I mean, I, I can relate. But also, like, he was with a skydiving company and school. Yeah, but who I mean... had, like, safety measures in place, so... Sure, but, I mean, how many stories have we told where the company, you know, was cutting costs and didn't think of this or just didn't think of this, you True. know? True, yeah. Or like, oh, well, if it's, uh, if it's cloudy, just don't go up. And then no nobody ever has the problem until you just get unlucky. Yeah, that's true. Point being, he felt very isolated and he didn't feel like anyone was really going to come and get him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's totally unfounded. At that point, Will didn't have many options. He had to do something if he wanted to live. So he decided he had to save as much energy as he possibly could. He wouldn't be able to keep treading water forever. So that's when he laid himself on his back to float as best as he could. He had to stay as calm as possible because he knew if he panicked, that would be the end of him. Meanwhile, the ground coordinator for their jump, Tanya Handel, was waiting for the guys to land at their agreed-upon location. She had a terrible feeling when she arrived at their drop zone and there were no skydivers in sight. If they had landed somewhere else, Milt Burton, the owner of the skydiving school who went up with them, was supposed to call Tanya. She told him to call when they landed, no matter where they landed. So if they had touched the ground, she should have been notified, and she wasn't. So she was starting to get worried. Tanya thought they must have canceled the dive and returned back to the airfield, but when she was unable to get Milt on her phone, she decided to just head back to the airfield herself and see if they had gone back there. So 20 minutes later, when she arrived, there was still no one to be found at the airstrip. And that was a terrible sign. Tanya, you better call the Coast Guard. That would the be coast good. The coast to Coast Guard. That would be good. 
Out in the ocean, Will was struggling to stay afloat. It had become dark, and he had been out there for five hours at that point. His muscles were working on emergency reserves of adrenaline, but he was starting to become exhausted. It was so dark out there, he could barely see his hand in front of his face. Oh, that's literally the last thing I want. I might be thinking about the sharks right now. Dark? How could you not? You can't even see your hand in front of your fucking face. That is so terrifying. I honestly don't think I could think of a scarier scenario for me to be in. Yeah. (laughs) Out in the middle of the ocean, no life jacket, dark, so dark you can't see in front of your face, and you're alone and you don't know if anyone's coming for you. And the water's deep like deep deep yeah you know like the on have you ever seen those videos on tiktok where it's like thalassophobia and it's like the fear of the deep ocean or whatever and it's the song that goes yo no all right well someone understood that (laughs) someone understood that (laughs) i I mean i feel like if it's if it's 50 feet deep it's two miles deep who cares i hate the idea of the dark deep ocean and sharks underneath I hate it. Anyway, he was like, my point is, is like, once it's a certain amount of deep, it doesn't matter. I understood what you were saying. I just hate any, it could be five feet deep. I hate it. Yeah. (laughs) I hate it. You are just really not a fan of the ocean. Not really. Yeah. And this isn't a shocking thing that he felt, but out there in the dark, he felt extremely isolated because he was. Imagine that. Yeah. He had never felt more vulnerable and I couldn't imagine a more vulnerable situation to be in. So... That makes sense. But it was around that time that Will got his first ray of hope. Off in the distance, he saw five or six lights that had been spaced out across what would have been the horizon if he could have seen it. He had no idea how far off the lights were from him, but he started swimming for them because what the hell else are you going to do? But he had to swim calmly in that direction because if he overexerted himself, he could drown. He would do 20 to 30 backstrokes and then stop. And when he turned around to look after what felt like a good amount of progress, he realized that he had been pulled further out into the ocean. Like he was further away from the lights. How discouraging. Yeah. So the current's pulling him out. Yes, there was an undercurrent. He was exhausted and again saw no possibility of getting out of the ocean alive. Floating alone in the ocean, Will thought about his family and friends, the people back home who he may never see again. He thought about Jimmy and Manny, and he wondered if they had survived in the crash, and if they had, he wondered if they would survive the night in the ocean like him. Back at the airfield, Tanya was still waiting for the plane to return. It had been six hours since they had left, but she was still holding out hope. Tanya. She had notified the tower to keep an eye out for them, but they were still hoping that the plane had just been diverted to another airstrip before they alerted emergency services. So at this point, I don't even think she's alerted emergency services. She's still waiting for them to come back. Tanya, I mean, how long does a skydiving trip take? Can't be that long. Like two hours? I couldn't tell you. Think about like when you fly in a plane. How long does it take to get to cruising altitude? Anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. Right. So I would imagine jumping altitude is lower than that. So it's got to be like, what, 20 minutes max? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely taking a lot longer than it should have. Like she was six hours into them being gone. Yeah, I feel like six hours is absolutely past the point of like they should have jumped and landed. 
100%. You know? Six hours is far too long. Like, I'm sorry, Tanya. It's time to call it in. <laughs> she didn't think that they were still in the sky. She thought that they were landed somewhere else because the, the weather got bad. So she was hoping that the guys were just sitting in some cantina with no cell service and they couldn't reach her. Well. But as the hours passed and the weather got worse, Tanya realized something bad must have happened. She knew the plane must have crashed, but the Costa Rican Rescue Service wouldn't launch a search at night. Visibility would be too poor, so there was no search that would happen until daylight. She was panicking because she didn't even know where to start searching for them. There wasn't much she could even do because they could have been anywhere. They could have been north, south, up the coast, down the coast, in the mountains, off the coast. She had no idea. Did they not have like comms? Like any radio communication in 2005? I guess not like, with her. Where it's like, hey, we're hitting like fucking turbulence. I guess not with her. Like she was just no. the ground coordinator. She was just supposed to like pick them up where they landed. Okay. I don't know. I just imagine like it just seems that air flight is so regulated. Right. Like trackable. You know? I mean, maybe not in 2005 in Costa Rica. I don't or know. Or like with the, the like Cessna was. 206. Like it was a really small plane. I don't know. But either way, she didn't know where they were, is my point. By that time, Will had been in the ocean alone for nine hours. The water temperature had dropped to 45 degrees Fahrenheit. He was rapidly losing body heat and becoming dehydrated at a quicker rate than he should have because he had been swallowing seawater. The swells in the ocean had gotten bigger, and he couldn't help getting water in his mouth. But he did know that over an extended period of time, that alone could kill him. By that time, no rescue had even started, and he was losing hope. There were no boats out there, no planes. He was a dead man. Just when it seemed like things couldn't get worse, it did. He had unintentionally floated into a massive school of jellyfish. Dude, are you kidding me? No. He was getting stung repeatedly all over his back. Jellyfish tentacles contain thousands of tiny needle-like filaments that deliver small doses of venom just below the skin. So he was just getting stung to Lit hell. up. Yeah. The pain was excruciating, and it was all over his body. As the jellyfish stung Will's back, legs, arms, feet, and neck, it left welts and bleeding sores all over his body. All right, well, now is where the sharks come into play. <laughs> right. Which is bad for a number of reasons. Like Although, you just said, it hurt terribly and the salt water only made it worse, which is oh, yeah. terrible. And also now he's bleeding into the water, which we, as we know, attract sharks. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, is it possible to say that at the nine hour mark when you're starting to get like really exhausted, maybe this is a good thing to kind of like literally jolt your system? The jellyfish things? Yeah, I mean, if you're in that much pain, I would imagine the last thing you're feeling is tired. The last thing you're feeling is tired? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to give out and drown while you're getting stung by jellyfish. Oh, oh, I understand. Yes, that's true. But the pain was excruciating. And now he was just in terrible pain. Listen, okay? It's hard to find something good. You're looking for the smallest silver lining. I guess I'm being an optimist today, okay? How, how could the silver lining be thousands of jellyfish stings? I don't know, but it is. How? Here's the crazy thing. It is. I don't think so. It is. Mm, I don't think so. I, I At nine hours, the ocean is 45 degrees. You've been there for nine hours. Right. I understand that. Part. Right. <laughs> I can't emphasize that you've put in overtime at this point. You, you should be getting paid 
time and a half. Yes, but now and he got stung by a thousand jellyfish. Stings. I have to imagine he's hopeless and he's been. Yeah. ready to just like give up. Yep. You get stung by a jellyfish. What are you thinking about? One jellyfish. No, no. You get stung by thousands of jellyfish. <laughs> what are you thinking about? Kill me. No. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, You're thinking, ow, this hurts. You're not thinking, I'm going to drown. You might be thinking, I'm going to drown because it was so painful. You might not I be able to know. stay above the water. I have no idea. We might cut this whole thing. We might. We might not. We'll see. Do you get my point? I Why get are you point. just giving me so much shit right now? Because you can't I can't let me get a point. I can't imagine something so terrible and you're like, it's good. <laughs> I'm trying to help here. You're not helping. Just okay. listen. The only thing that I think could be not so terrible about the situation really is that i think you try let me see you no, no, try no 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 i'm not gonna say that it's a silver lining because it's not i'm i'm going to say that the sores on his body that were apparently slightly bleeding were probably not bleeding enough to attract a shark that's my silver lining even though you got stung by thousands of jellyfish and you're bleeding don't worry it's not a lot of blood that's where my my thought i, I process think my is. silver lining is better okay i think you're right but i think it's um a little bit delulu dear delulu yes Shut up. Okay. He wasn't even thinking about the potential blood in the water and the sharks. He was just desperately trying to escape the jellyfish because of how much pain he was in. He swam faster to swim out of the school, but when he thought he had finally made it out, he swam into another bunch of jellyfish. Can he, this guy catch a goddamn break? No. He couldn't believe how many jellyfish actually stung him. Like, it was that many. He didn't know how much worse it could get out there. But as he was stung relentlessly, his mind started to wander. That's how you know it's been going on for far too long. His mind started to wander as he's stung by jellyfish. And he thought about what else could be lurking below waiting to attack him. Okay, well, there goes my theory. Yeah, it's not like, ooh, I'm so alive and awake. It's like, uh, oh, God, this I is don't know. terrible. Like, is a shark hanging out with a jellyfish, though? Maybe. I don't know. They're, they're nearby. Do they eat jellyfish? I don't think so, but like, it doesn't matter. It's the ocean. There's sharks. All right, dude. Yeah. I don't know. They don't want to get stung either. <laughs> okay. The other thing is that he knew sharks hunt at night. So that's also... This is a calming thought. It's not. Part of him wondered if he should splash around again to attract one and just get it over with again. But that seemed like an equally terrible option. Yeah. I mean, after hours of this happening, I mean, how can you not have that cross your mind yeah as he floated his worst fears became real there was something in the water near him and he saw it coming toward him he had no idea what it was but it was on top of the water and it was big in his shocked state he thought it was a crocodile he had no idea how far out saltwater crocodiles swam but all he knew was that what he was seeing was way too big to be a turtle as it moved closer, the fear became even more real until it was right up on him. But then he laughed because he realized it was just a tree trunk. Oh my god. <laughs> he had no idea why a massive log would be in the middle of the ocean with him, but it was amazing because he had been in the ocean for 10 hours now and he could hold onto it to stay afloat. Big win. That's that's the Big silver win. lining. The silver lining is the log in the ocean, not the go. thousands of jellyfish. Is this where the story turns around? This is the first bit of good news we've had for, what, 12 hours? Kind of, yeah. It was a lifeline, and it was his first lucky break. He wrapped his arms around it and felt extremely grateful that he had something to float on, rather than just his back or his stomach. 
It gave him some much needed hope that he was going to make it out of this alive. News of the accident reached Will's skydiving club, Skydive Elsinore in California. Giles Fabris was very concerned for his friend's safety. The first thing he did was contact the relatives of the guys, which is never a fun job to be like, hey, loved ones, your family members are missing, but it had to be done. And he did everything he could from 3,000 miles away. He tried to collect as much information as he could, which was when he learned the rescue operation wouldn't even begin until daylight. All he could think about was his friends floating somewhere in the middle of the ocean, clinging onto life, which was what was happening, at least in Will's case. Giles did the only thing he could do, which was contact any fishing boat or charter boat in that area to ask if they would send their boats out to look for his friends. They didn't get many, but they did get at least one out there looking. Will had been floating in the ocean for upwards of 12 hours at that point. The prolonged exposure to the salt water was beginning to shrink his muscles. Wait, what? It the, shrinks your muscles? I guess if you're in salt water for over 12 hours, it starts to like deteriorate your muscles. That's insane. Like permanently? I don't think permanently, but I think it's oh, just- it's like a sponge just kind of- so maybe like all the water gets soaked out of him. Yeah, like the salt is just pulling the moisture out of him. That, that makes sense. So Will was suffering from extreme fatigue. He finally had this log, but he was exhausted. And he was still in excruciating pain from the jellyfish stings. He had swallowed more salt water and the water was freezing. So the odds were really against him. After 15 hours in the ocean, Will had fallen asleep as he drifted along with the log. He had no idea when he fell asleep or how long he was asleep, but he woke up still holding onto the log the next morning. Wow, he slept on the log. He was that exhausted that he, like, couldn't not sleep. Yeah, his body just gave out. Yeah. And at least when he woke up, it was finally light out. Even better than that, Will could finally see the beach off in the distance. The swells even seemed like they were possibly pushing him in the direction of the land. He began hoping he could surf the log into the shore. Will even began daydreaming about coming into the shore at the exact right spot where there was a bar. He could surf in, grab a beer, and ask for a ride. It would be fantastic. So he finally had a lot of hope. It had been a really long night, so that was some much-needed inspiration. It had also been a long night for Giles. He and his team were still making calls and searching the internet for any information about the crash. They knew the chance of survival was very small, but at the same time, they did still have hope, and it was important they didn't let that hope die. Will was still riding the tides inward for over an hour at that point, but to his disappointment, he wasn't making as much progress as he needed to. The tide had turned, and the undercurrents began working against him as he swam, pushing him back out to sea. As he swam, he didn't feel like he was getting any closer to the land. His only hope was the Costa Rican rescue operation, and since it was daylight, it should have been finally happening. But the new problem he was facing was that the current had taken Will miles from where he had originally crash-landed, and the rescue team was looking in the wrong place. Even if they knew where he was, it was like looking for a needle in a haystack. Throughout the second day, boats, planes, and helicopters would pass Will in the distance, and they probably were just doing their own thing and not looking for Will, so they definitely didn't see him. But yeah, he could see planes and things around him, but nobody could see him. Dude, where's Tanya? She has gotten the, the rescue operation like going, 
but she's not like a rescue person herself. She just has to wait and see. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you even begin to look? That was the problem was they didn't really know where to look. And even if they knew where the plane went down, it didn't really matter because he wasn't there. And like looking for someone out in the middle of the ocean is one of the hardest things you can do. Yeah, I mean, I guess you gotta like almost calculate where the current would have taken him. Even if you did, you would have like a very rough location. And right, but I mean, it's better than nothing. Sure, having no location. Sure, it definitely is. But at the same time, like he was just basically a floating head at that point. I've seen video or pictures of people like on a life raft in the middle of the ocean, and their life raft is like massive compared to them, and it's like a bright color. And like from the air or from far away, like you can't even see it. It's crazy. And he was quite literally just a floating head. Well, he's got a log. He's got a big log. But my point is, is that it's going to be really hard to spot him. And it clearly was because multiple boats and planes passed him and they didn't see him. When these planes or boats or whatever would pass him, he would try to like wave at them. But then the log would roll over and he would go face first into the ocean, which happened repeatedly throughout that day. It was maddening to have people that close And yet so far, it both gave him hope and also took it away. He realized how small he must have looked in the ocean and how difficult it would have been for anyone to spot him. In California, Will's friends knew that if he was alive, his chance of survival was extremely thin because of how cold the ocean was. They kept calling anyone they could because their best chance of finding him was with a boat. Meanwhile, Will was still fighting the undercurrent to make it closer to land. He really wanted to keep the log with him because it was the only thing he had that was keeping him afloat, but it was also heavy. And as he tried to push it forward to swim toward the land, nothing was happening because the log was just being carried with this current. So despite his efforts, he knew he wasn't getting any closer to land. When he had woken up that morning, he thought he would have been to the land by noon, but after hours of trying to swim closer, it wasn't working. He had been clinging to that log for 13 hours, and even though it was his lifeline, it was at that point becoming a burden. So he had to make a really tough decision, stay with the log and continue floating, or ditch the log and try to swim for it. Either option could kill him. Because if he remained where he was, he may never be found and it could pull him way further out into the ocean. But he had been out there for 13 hours, freezing and dehydrating, so he may not even have the energy to swim in the first place. Yeah, A or B. If boats and planes are passing you all day, I don't feel like they're ever going to find you. That's true. You know, you'd have to get really lucky. I thought you were going to say the opposite of like, if boats and planes are passing you all day, then like someone will find him at some point. Uh, maybe, but if night hits again, then everyone's going home. That's true. That's very true. He even said even though he knew the trunk was holding him back, it had kind of become his Wilson, referring to the volleyball companion of Tom Hanks and Castaway. Like, he was having a hard time giving it up. Did he have a name for it? No. I also think that's a silly comparison because it was keeping him afloat and it wasn't just, like, a volleyball with a face on it <laughs> that he talked to. But but yeah, I understand but I mean, what he's getting at. what other comparison do you have? No, I know. He's, he's like, I couldn't let it go. Like, it was right. now my only thing that I had. Can we call it Larry? Sure. Larry the Log. Why not? <laughs> Ultimately, he had decided that the log was hurting him more than helping him at that point, and it was time to let it go. He swam maybe 20 to 30 yards away from the log before he decided that that was a terrible idea and swam back to it. 
Once back with the tree, he was very glad to have it. He realized then that it was a very foolish thing to let it go. But that wouldn't be the last time Will had this dilemma. He hoped the log would begin pushing him toward the shore, but again, it never happened. So after leaving the log and coming back to it twice, he let it go for a third time. And this time he watched the log go over a few swells and he knew that there was no getting it back. So he's bye-bye Larry. He's committed. Yeah. He had nothing to float on and his energy quickly ran out and he was starting to regret his decision. So he went back to floating on his back. He had swallowed a dangerous amount of seawater and was dealing with extreme dehydration. The biggest threat at that point was his lack of ability to get a full breath. He was very short of breath and all he could get were tiny catch breaths, like just a little like (gasps) kind of thing. That's terrifying. It was because of the dehydration. His blood pressure had been rapidly increasing and his pulse was racing, causing severe heart palpitations. I mean, like after all this, you die from a heart attack. (laughs) I don't think a heart attack. Fuck. Just like he couldn't get a full breath. Yeah. It probably felt like an anxiety attack, but it was severe dehydration. Yeah, not good. Probably mixed with an anxiety attack. I mean, just both. You know. Everything and everything. Yeah. He knew he couldn't last very long like that. And he was right because if he lost any more fluid, he could slip into unconsciousness and drown. Will truly felt like he was within a few minutes of drowning. 3,000 miles away, Giles and his team were still fighting to find him. They had found basic maps of Costa Rica, and since they knew where a large storm had rolled through, they knew that if it had taken the plane down, it would have crashed into the ocean. So now they at least know he's most likely in the ocean, because before they were like, we don't know entirely. Probably, but also I don't know. But so far, none of the boat owners that they had contacted had spotted Will, but they weren't giving up. In an article I saw when the plane went down, Giles and the team hired a search crew for about $10,000 to hunt for them, which like is, I guess, nothing if you're wanting to save your friend's life or whatever, but still $10,000 is a lot of money. Yeah, for one day. Yeah. It had been nearly 24 hours since Will had crashed into the water and he was running out of time. He noticed a severe deterioration in his mental state and his ability to comprehend reality. He had swallowed so much seawater and his kidneys couldn't flush out the excess salt and his body was shutting down. The sun had only made the dehydration worse and it was around that time that Will had begun hallucinating pretty heavily. He thought he would see shark fins around him or he would see turtles around him that he thought would slice into him and eat him. He was on the edge of insanity and his body was barely holding on. He began to say goodbye to the family and friends he thought he would never see again and thought about how he had been as a person in his life. He felt like he had left the people in his life behind. His life was flashing before his eyes and he felt like he was on the brink of death. In that moment, he thought he may have seen a boat, but by no means was he sure that it was real. He was mentally unwell and still hallucinating heavily, but he waved to them and yelled in Spanish as loud as he could. He knew it was highly unlikely the boat would even see him if it was a boat, so he went back to floating and waiting to die. He had used his last bits of energy to wave at this boat, but after a few moments, he realized the boat was headed toward him. He could see the people who were looking back at him. He had drifted miles from the search area, so by complete chance, he was spotted by passing fishermen. (laughs) 
Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? That's everything comes down to complete chance. Yep. He had been so close to giving up. They truly came in the nick of time. Like he has said, I was five minutes away from dying. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that's not inaccurate. No. Yeah. They told him to get into the boat, but he told them he couldn't. He had no energy. So the men reached over and pulled him in. He was. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) No, no. They get to him and they're like, get in. (laughs) Get in. (laughs) Don't don't pull him out. Yeah. Dude. Well, they did, but... I mean, yeah, but it's just funny to me that they even asked. They didn't know he was in the water for 24 hours. Yeah, but I mean, I guess, you know, somebody without a life jacket. It is kind of funny. I mean, he can't look great. No. He's in kidney failure. (laughs) He definitely didn't look great. Either way, he was pulled in, and he said he was in so much shock that it was just like when the plane crashed. Like, that was the amount of shock he was in. Wow. Like, his body's in shock. He was mentally shocked that he's been saved. I think mentally. And also physically, like, he's just unwell. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you're like, is this a hallucination? Yeah. You know? They gave him water, and he said, oh my god, I'm invincible, before he collapsed and held onto one of the fishermen's legs as they approached the shore. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of a funny thing. He said, I crashed in the middle of the ocean, and my fat, pasty butt made it through 24 hours in the ocean. I mean, show me the lie. I love that. (laughs) He's like, my fat, pasty butt (laughs) survived in the ocean for 24 hours. How do you, I just, I don't understand how somebody lasts 24 hours out there. I mean, he he had a log, but damn. That was after like 10 hours he got the log. Yeah. When Giles found out that he was alive, he was unbelievably relieved. Will had survived not only a plane crash, but being alone in the ocean for 24 hours. The search efforts had been looking in the wrong place. Some of them had been looking in the mountains and different parts of the ocean. They had 80 Red Cross rescue volunteers, including divers, on hand if needed. There were 35 police, at least 12 pilots, 5 planes, 4 helicopters, 2 Coast Guard patrol boats, and 1 speedboat, and 21 crew members who were searching. It's a lot of people. Yeah. When they found out where Will had been, they had a better idea as to where to search. And for a moment, a message had come through that more survivors had been found, but it turned out that the message was misinterpreted on the radio. And the real message was that there had been no survivors found. How did we fuck that one up? Pretty bad. It was a bad one. So over the next (laughs) few days, the bodies of the other men and some of the wreckage had been pulled from the ocean. Manny Sanchez, Jimmy Simplicio, and the pilot had all died in the crash. Both Manny and Jimmy had been found in the ocean, tangled in their lines of their parachutes. And there were also two Costa Rican men, Gene Roman, and a student skydiver who was jumping with them. And like I said, the pilot, who also died in the crash. So altogether, five men. I didn't even know the other two were with them. Did you say that? I didn't either. I, I didn't realize that they were with them when they were, like, doing the skydiving. But, yeah, it was the pilot two other men, and then Jimmy and Manny. I mean, it, like his survival is just absolutely improbable. So I don't know. I would be really shocked if anyone else made it through. Yeah. And it wasn't just a plane crash. It was also like, you know, surviving in the ocean for 24 hours. So yeah, like you said, it's very improbable. It's just sad. Will said Manny was an amazing, almost cartoonish, childlike, beautiful human being. And Jimmy had an enigmatic, amazing character. He was also kind of a hard ass, but had a beautiful soul at the same time. 
After his 24-hour survival, Will spent five days recovering in the hospital. Doctors said he suffered only minor injuries in his jump. He was sunburned and dehydrated after spending 24 hours at sea, but other than that, he was fine. Will's brother Jim said in an email to Tico Times that this was not the first time Will had survived a threat to his life. His brother said, I'd say he has nine lives, but he would have run out of them a long time ago. <laughs> so it seems like Will was no stranger to the extreme. <laughs> no stranger to danger? Yes. Thank you. No stranger I to you're danger. you going to say that. That is better than what I said. Uh, after getting out of the hospital, Will thanked the men that saved his life in a statement he made through the U.S. Embassy in San Jose. And today, Will still skydives. He loves it. And since the accident, he's done over 2,000 jumps. He said it was the plane that went down. Skydiving saved his life. So that's the end of our story today. Interesting. It was the plane that went down. It was skydiving that saved my life. Yeah. So he's not scared of skydiving. That did not stop him from doing future dives. Obviously, he's done over 2,000 since then. It wasn't a skydiving malfunction. The plane crashed. Yeah, true, true. Um, how does he feel about cloudy weather? <laughs> Probably not great. <laughs> you know? Probably not great if you're Are in you a scared Cessna of 206 or whatever it was. Yeah. What about like skydiving over the ocean? I can't imagine he'd want to do that again. Right, you know. <laughs> uh, but who knows? Hey, I mean, it's his life. Yeah. Even though he went through some really crazy stuff, I'm glad that he's still able to do the thing that he loved. Or yeah, he absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he could easily have like permanent damage from that. Yeah. Although I didn't know that like your muscles shrink. I mean, that's so weird. But to to escape it with just dehydration and sunburns is... Pretty, pretty lucky yeah really lucky. lucky break yeah and i mean the log in the middle of the ocean is a yeah, very I mean, lucky break i like try and do the math on those odds right i mean what are the odds of getting found period How, what are the odds of finding a log and getting found yeah well the the moments before he realized what the log was think about that like fear just like seeing a massive i'm pretty sure this log was like seven feet long so seeing like a massive dark object floating toward you and you think it's a crocodile and your life is just done crocodile style yeah at least it would be quick i mean really bad we, we though. went over yeah very very violent yeah i don't know it seems that he had a number of those moments though throughout the course of the 24 hours because that happened and then he you know was minutes from death before he got rescued, um, got rescued. i'm sure he's like contemplating his life the whole time mm-hmm but right before he got rescued, he was, you know, his life was flashing before his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I just, I would really love to hear his perspective on like, like how he changed after this. Like, I, yeah, I'm sure it really puts things into perspective. You don't yeah. really sweat the small stuff anymore. And you just like have a greater appreciation for being alive and like your health and your loved ones. And I can only imagine it would just like make everything seem so much smaller. Right. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine getting mad at somebody cutting you off in traffic after going through this. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Yeah. Road rage cured. Out. No more road rage. That's a pretty good uh, thing to end on, I think. <laughs> yeah. I just wonder what were all the things that he thought, oh, I should have said this to this person. Yeah. Well, he got that second chance, so he was able to say those things. I hope he did. Yeah. I hope he remembered. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's the end of that story. Why don't we move on to a bit of a palate cleanser? What's your good thing? Why don't you go first? Okay. 
My good thing is obviously getting mentioned in Gypsy Rose's new book. It's called Released. But we talked about that in the beginning. So my other good thing is the wine advent calendar that we've got from Costco. <laughs> it's <laughs> I kinda, love a Costco product. Yeah, well, it's kind of silly, but it's like 24 mini bottles of wine. That's like, you know, it's supposed to be like, go around the world in 24 bottles of wine. And it's like, silly silly but anyway this uh advent calendar was being sold like before the holidays for like over a hundred bucks and now after the holiday when we got it it was like 50 bucks so it was like more than half off (laughs) we could (laughs) have but uh anyway we still have like 22 bottles of these wines left did we pay two Two bucks bucks per a little over two bucks per bottle of wine please Say less. We've already had a Syrah (laughs) that was delightful. Well, the one we had tonight was kind of reminiscent of like wet basement, which I wasn't loving. Oh, yeah. We were going back and (laughs) forth on what the notes were. I got wet carpet like, uh, you know, when you not when you vacuum your carpet, but you like wash it wet. Yeah. After that, that's what it smelled like. It, it, yeah, it just was smelling a little bit. It was very minerally. It was very like wet paint or like wet basement. Anyway, it wasn't yeah. my favorite. What is your good thing? My good thing is that we have found a pickleball place to go play pickleball with our friends. That's the best. And it was fun. It was pickled. There was balls. Uh, uh, um, that's true. There were all three of those things. And uh, I think we got a lot better at it. Uh, but it's a nice cross between ping pong and tennis. It's like massive ping pong for those of you who aren't familiar with pickleball. It's very fun. Uh, And I have said to Alex that if we continue playing pickleball until we uh, make it to the nursing home, we're going to smoke those old people. And believe me, we're making it to the nursing home as champions. (laughs) Okay. Go for the gold. I would love to see. I'm like, I'm envisioning it now. And we're just like absolutely trashing these other folks at the home. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's gonna be pretty sweet Whereas, like, i guess like i'm thinking that somebody we would be beating would be named gladys but you know the names would turn over at that I point i was thinking that too you know i was like we're gonna smoke bertha but like <laughs> it's gonna be like sarah <laughs> yeah <laughs> or emily yeah yeah well that's my good thing well good it's a good it's a thing amazing Thank you guys so much for listening. It is cold as hell out there, so stay warm. Stay, yeah. And if you'd like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. Uh, I just posted one of our episodes on YouTube with pictures, so go subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm going to be posting episodes over there as well. Not Today Podcast on YouTube. Our Patreon is is patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you want access to a bunch of bonus episodes and you want to vote on stories you want to hear, head over there. We have merch, myshopify.com slash nottodaypodcast. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast. And the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>